millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everyone, you are listening to part two of episode 65. In this half of the episode, we include blackity black black news and our news from the world. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of August 15th, including... Highlights of week one of election 44. Inflation being at its highest point since 2003. Is relief in sight? A massive earthquake hits Haiti only three years after its most recent hit. The world fears what will happen in Afghanistan now that the Taliban has taken over. Canadian millennials, we outside (laughs) of the country Uh. and getting COVID. Plus, joining us today is friend of the drip, Ryan Singh of Temple Scott & Associates, a government relations firm in Toronto, a GR and public affairs professional of Indo-Caribbean heritage with over 10 years experience in federal, provincial, and municipal politics. He specializes in advocacy campaigns with a focus on how dynamic, targeted, and informed messaging can captivate specific audiences. As a director with Temple Scott Associates, Ryan provides support to a number of high-profile clients achieving results on a variety of files. During his time in this role, he successfully advised clients on partnering with the Ontario and federal governments. Before his current role, Ryan had an extensive career at Queen's Park. During his time as the executive assistant to the chief government whip, he assisted with the management of government legislative business, including during a minority government period. Ryan specifically worked with the entire government caucus to ensure that the legislative agenda was achieved. Bomb bomb. At the community level, Ryan has managed, advised, or assisted with several local campaigns at the federal, provincial, and municipal level as a devoted liberal. Recently, he launched Politrix, Art of Politics on Instagram, an Instagram account with daily tips on running a local election campaign. A son of Guyanese immigrants, he's a French lover like Patience and I, having earned his BA from York's Glendon campus, and is proud to have been raised in Scarborough, Malvern to be exact. So moving on to blackity black, black news this week. Um, 
you know, uh, moving forward, I think I, I want to try to, to highlight the blackest moment of the election uh, every week and offer you guys a, a great moment. I think this week, Enemy Paul, uh, you know, getting down uh, on the <laughs> on the campaign trail definitely makes it. And I think um, when I when I it's saw fifty fifty, yeah, man. When I when I saw that, I I, I felt. Um, so so happy to see a black woman, you know, able to bring her full self to the campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a beautiful thing to see. The other blackity black black thing this week uh, that is, is being talked about among some circles is uh, Jeopardy and how, mm-hmm. you know, if you snooze, you lose. You have to listen to your audience. The host that Jeopardy selected to replace Alex Trebek, Mike Richards, uh, just lost his job after um, getting called out for gross sexist comments and allegations of harassment. And a little sprinkle of racism, too, talking about it. Of course, there's always a little bit of racism when when we're dealing with bigots. Just sprinkle that in there. You know. (laughs) Canada's very own Ryan Reynolds, you know, sent out a tweet saying, um, quote, pretty consistently from 2013 to 2015, Deadpool would explode on Twitter with fans wanting me to play him. It was awkward because I agreed with them, but the studio didn't see it. Ultimately, the fans won, and the rest is glorious history. I'm forever grateful. Hi, at LeVar Burton. Basically <laughs> saying, uh, you know, the, the fans run it, so it doesn't matter what the studio is, is saying. This is this is the time to, to give LeVar Burton his flowers and his job. This is his job. Give it to him. <laughs> and let, let's kind of, you know, continue to hold Jeopardy in all of the esteem that, that it is deserving of after our, our wonderful Canadian uh, has left us. Any comments on the whole of our Burton uh, saga and Jeopardy? All I know is that all the trash that this Michael guy did. First <laughs> thing I saw when I saw the news is LeVar Burton would never. Never. You know, the one thing is that I think they did LeVar Burton wrong because the period when he was hosting or the guest host when they were doing the trials was during the Tokyo Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, and they so they, so they come back and say, oh, he, we had the lowest ratings. Well, yeah, you put the man against the Olympics, right? <laughs> so he didn't get a fair opportunity, right? And 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 Patience, to your point there, the, the fans have spoken and they've resoundingly said um, that they would they want to see him as the host. So give the fans what they want. Mm-hmm. Simple give as that. The people what they want. Uh, it was a pretty big week in news from the world. Uh, and starting first off, we had another devastating event in Haiti. On August 14th, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit Haiti, killing 2,189 people and injuring another 12,268 people. This is especially devastating as Haiti was only just starting to recover from the 7.0 magnitude earthquake that took between 100,000 and 300,000 lives in 2010. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic that devastated countries with less healthcare infrastructure. Canada and Haiti actually have a great relationship historically. According to the 2016 census, Canada is home to more than 165,000 Haitian Canadians, which was double their Canadian population in 2001 when it was at 82,000 people. And Canada didn't just support Haitians to relocate to Canada after the last earthquake. We've also been putting our money where our mouth is. 
Haiti is the largest recipient of development assistance from Canada in the Americas. Canada is the second largest bilateral donor to Haiti after the United States. And Canada is currently funding more than 50 projects in Haiti. Since the 2010 earthquake, the government of Canada has provided $1.5 billion in funding to Haiti, including $345 million in humanitarian assistance and $1.15 billion in development assistance. For the fiscal year 2018 to 2019, the government of Canada's total international assistance to Haiti amounted to $96.4 million. So that's what they've been doing to help rebuild Haiti after numerous devastating events. But also, you know, we had COVID-19. And although the impacts of COVID-19 in Haiti have been less severe than anticipated, the pandemic did worsen their already precarious socioeconomic and humanitarian conditions. So the government of Canada, again, provided $11.5 million in response to um, the COVID-19 pandemic in Haiti. And this went to everything from monitoring diseases to hygiene kits to new health and food assistance initiatives. We really want to extend our sympathies to Haitians who listen to this podcast and encourage listeners to support Haiti with donations. We've included a list of charities working on the ground in Haiti in the show notes. Any comments on what's happening in Haiti and how Canada's supporting? It's good to see that there is actually support going to Haiti, but I think um, the three of us uh, speaking on separate occasions, the three of us acknowledge that the media is doing an actual terrible job of covering what's happening in Mm -hmm. Haiti, considering we have such a strong Haitian contingent, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in Montreal. Now, of course, it is possible that Montreal media is doing a much better media of this, a much better job of this and we're just not in Montreal so we can't see it. But generally speaking, considering we're seeing so much about Afghanistan Mm. as an example, I would expect to be something similar, similar about Haiti. Yeah, Curtis, I think you nailed it. And I think, you know, last time we had a former governor general who was of Haitian heritage, who's crying on TV and that helped Mm -hmm. amplify and bring some more attention to it. I don't think it needs to take and it shouldn't have to take that to get people's attention. But unfortunately, this earthquake coincides with a crisis that's happening in Afghanistan right now. And that's that's Curtis, you nailed it. Like that's where everybody's attention is being driven to. So that's a perfect segue to my next story. You know, what exactly is happening in Afghanistan and how is Canada involved? And, you know, Curtis, you, you follow me on Instagram, Ryan, we're, we're going to get linked up. Um, but, you know, I aired my frustrations <laughs> about what is happening in Afghanistan on Instagram last week. I was particularly frustrated because the world is acting brand new. Like we here on the drip told everyone before our break that Biden was going to pull his troops from Afghanistan and no one batted an eye. Right. But everyone gets all up in arms when the Taliban steps in. Like, what what did we think was going to happen when the people who have been keeping the Taliban out left? They left a, a, a power vacuum. So, so what do you do when a country has been abandoned by its occupants? Yes, I said abandoned, right? Al Jazeera reported on August 20th mm-hmm. that, quote, many U.S. veterans are struggling with doubts about what they were fighting for in Afghanistan. 
why their friends died and whether mm. it all was useless. End quote. The viral clip that is going around of, you know, Afghans who are kind of climbing this, this, um, I think it's an, an Air Force. A C-17 globe. Yeah, there you go. Um, so they're, they're climbing the, the plane and, and they're, they're, they're desperate to, to come to the U.S. because they have spent probably close to, to, to the last 20 years or 25 years aligned with the U.S. and they know that the, the Taliban is, is not going to 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 work with them, right? That, that's what happens. Um, and, and this we've seen this before in in Rwanda when NATO went in there and occupied and then left a power vacuum for the resistance to enter. We saw this in Iran with with the Shah. This keeps happening, and then everyone is like, "Oh, let, let's let's pray for this country. Let's pray for these people." No, let's hold our leaders, our superpowers accountable. When, when you are going to leave a country, leave something in place for the people so that there's some hope. Don't just tell them, okay, apply for refugee status and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see you later. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, I, I say that not to say that the U.S. will not be sponsoring refugees. I'm sure that they will have a, a government program to, to relocate as many refugees from Kabul as possible. But they're not going to sponsor anywhere near the 4.4 million Afghan nationals that live in Kabul and will be directly impacted by Taliban occupation. I want to add here that Canada is doing its bit as well. On August 13th, we, we saw a joint announcement come out from the Honorable Marco Mendicino, who is the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship, the Honorable Harjit Sajjan, who is the Minister of National Defense, and the Honorable Marc Garneau, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, announcing that Canada will resettle 20,000 vulnerable Afghans. We've heard from a group in Calgary that's advocating for a larger resettlement program, but uh, I think the, the 20,000 is a, is a good start and we need to figure out if there are other ways that we can help those who are in Kabul because we're not going to be able to move 4.4 million people uh, to safety. Yeah, that, uh, that 20,000 um, is uh, it's probably a number that we won't even hit, but it's, right. it's a number based on... Uh, those Afghan interpreters and others who worked for the Canadian forces and um, for overall the government uh, to get them to safety and get their families to safety, their loved ones to safety. Um, so, you know, this is something that should have, uh, speaking about the operation here. And, and so, you know what, let me actually back up here. You know, I was a strong supporter of the mission in Afghanistan. And, um, and one of the underlying reasons for that was because we understood even if we perhaps weren't <clears throat> entirely in support of Western policy, we still understood that Afghanistan was a safe haven for Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda would use that safe haven to launch attacks against the West where we live. So we had to keep them disrupted. That was one of the main reasons. And we are quite literally seeing that as soon as we are gone, that wall has collapsed, right? right. And the Taliban is... Is, is retaking uh, its place now. And I say that deliberately taking its place. The reality too, I'm not saying that we this all happened out of nowhere. I mean, there have been talks with the Taliban over time. The Taliban has been uh, making inroads both uh, politically and militarily in that country. So this has been a long time coming. And quite frankly, I, I remember hearing, uh, for example, from both President Biden and uh, Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken saying that uh, 
you know, whether we left now or we left in, in 20 years, the same outcome would have happened. And I, I also fully agree with that. I'm also clear on the realities that despite the fact that we had to be there to, again, keep Al-Qaeda at bay, uh, we were tired of war. And quite frankly, especially in the case of the United States, we were spending way too much money abroad when our people were suffering here at home. Right. In the case of Canada, over the course of the Afghan conflict, which by the way, was our longest military conflict ever, we spent $18 billion. Imagine if that $18 billion were spent here at home. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that what wasn't that's not to say that we didn't accomplish anything in Afghanistan. We helped do a lot for the time that we were there. We built roads, we built infrastructure. It helped real people. But right now, just as you pointed out, patience, we've got a lot of folks saying, what was it for? And I I think of one of the first people to die in Afghanistan, a black soldier, Private Mark Graham. I wonder how his family's feeling today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So patience, I mean, I think you... Your intro there brought up a couple of issues, and one is it's to show you the effect that America has on the world still as its dominant power that when they decide to withdraw, it does have a ripple effect on other countries. And it goes to show you that there was very little heads up probably to some of their international partners Mm -hmm. that this was coming and at what point, um, because Canada seemed to be a little unprepared um, for dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Now, the light at the end of the tunnel is that this week they are having an emergency G7 meeting and hopefully there'll be some consensus really quickly on how they can somewhat put a bandaid on on what's happening there. But it's absolutely devastating to see the lineups of people waiting at the airport um, trying to get out, people falling off of planes. Yep. You know, and I know you cited that we have 20,000 spots open for um, Afghan refugees but if planes eventually can't leave, if the airports shut down, if there's just chaos there, we might not achieve that 20,000. People might not be able to leave. I mean, the Taliban is very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, not some, they're not a group of people you sit down with and you negotiate necessarily. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. But it's just it's absolutely heartbreaking to see um, the human tragedy um, and loss of life um, that's going on there right now. Again, I, I agree with with everything that both of you have said, but you know, when Biden said, I want all of my troops out by September eleventh, twenty twenty one, I think like we should have we should have tuned in to the fact that okay, 
like this is gonna be a mess i hear you you know and and that that's what's surprising me that we don't we don't seem to like the, like the government of Canada doesn't seem to have expected this. And same with the, with the government of, of like Biden's administration doesn't seem to have like what like it's it's fascinating. No one, it's yeah, it's like you made this plan and you're not even ready for the plan. Not yeah. none of the allies are ready for the plan. Right. Like yes, they're saying that their intelligence wasn't prepared and and they didn't expect the Taliban to take as much ground as they did as quickly as they did. But like y'all ain't had nothing planned. You gave them a heads up, fam. I don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, Patience, they gave a heads up to the world by saying that September 11th date this year, but they gave a heads up to the Taliban. They basically said to the Taliban, get your shit together. We're leaving. Exactly. You can can take over again. So although the Taliban might have been demoralized over the last 20 years, it it almost resurrected their spirit and morale. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like the one thing you do in military and war is like you don't tell your opponent – your strategy precisely they basically said we're out so um yeah i hear you and it's just it's bad planning and i don't know what they were thinking when they said oh we can just ad hoc leave now and everything's gonna be fine and dandy i think that one thing they weren't anticipating was that the taliban was going to be able to mobilize and take back areas as quickly as they are doing right Right, now right I, i think what's interesting to underscore everything though is that even today the majority of the U.S. population is still in support of the U.S. withdrawal. <sighs> and I think to answer your question just now, Ryan, is is that that was the main impetus for mm-hmm. the withdrawal and how fast it happened, et cetera. Yep. People want it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So um, we, we've just spoken a little bit about, you know, how difficult it, it has been and will be to leave Kabul. But are our borders opening up internationally? Like, like so now that <laughs> now that, that, that you know, where we're in the fourth wave and, and a ma- not a majority, but people are getting vaccinated, uh, we're seeing quarantine measures be lifted and we're seeing people, you know, travel the world. As as a millennial podcast speaking to a mostly millennial audience, I feel compelled to share that according to Dr. Tam in her remarks from August 12th, there are currently more than 13,000 active cases in Canada, more than double the number from late July. And Tam said that 1,500 new cases are being reported daily and the majority are us, right? <laughs> are among those aged 20 to 39. I get it. You know, it's because we're outside, you know, it's lit. It's lit. We're out of the country. We're on yachts. Uh, and trust me, like, like we're in our prime and, 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 you know, traveling still isn't easy despite borders opening up, but there, there are some, some major issues here, uh, when it comes to borders opening up and, and people traveling internationally. The first issue, and I don't think it's something that we've spoken about on the podcast, Curtis, but the first issue was that more than 3.1 million Canadians received a mix of vaccines on the advice of, you know, Health Canada. And some countries do not recognize travelers with different first and second doses as being fully immunized from COVID. Right, Second issue is 13 European countries, including Italy and Portugal, are not recognizing the AstraZeneca vaccine that was manufactured in India. And the third issue is that, I mean, quite simply, every country has its own rules and its own requirements. And men are not trying to get trapped inside another country. 
So my question to the audience and to frequent flyers is, is this getting expensive? Is this getting confusing? I know that people have been paying up to $250 for COVID tests when they leave Canada and when they re-enter Canada to prove that they're COVID free. And I know people are having their flights canceled at the last minute because, um, you know, members of the cabin crew have COVID. I know that people are getting stuck outside of the country and are not receiving refunds, but they're getting flight credits instead of getting their money back. There's a lot happening in in the travel space. What have you guys been hearing? I mean, it's a mess. I mean, I've heard of people traveling down to the States and they can't get into theaters and venues because they've had AstraZeneca and even the U.S. doesn't recognize in some places AstraZeneca. What I think the bigger issue, too, is, is that many of us are vaccinated and we might be traveling but remember, you can still have COVID and you can still be contagious. And when we travel to countries, this is I speaking to particular to a person from Mexico about this, mm-hmm. is that when we travel and if we're taking it with us there, we're actually creating a worse problem in somebody else's country. Right. So it, it's about being a bit responsible. But like, you know what? Look, um, we're all tired of this and we all want to get out and traveling is the best way to do that. It's just, we got to be responsible and just hunker down a little bit more. I think the lesson here is, uh, and this goes back to our our mandatory vaccine conversation, but get your vaccine. It helps lower our numbers and it it helps, you know, internationally, everything get better. The other thing I think we need to do is the world, the, the, the big powers of the world, the G7, I think they committed to almost a billion vaccines is they need to do a little bit more way if, more uh, this is this is not a u.s canada england japan italy france problem this right. is an everybody problem and there's going to be a lot of countries in south america and africa and parts of asia that they haven't even got their first vaccines yet so we need to step up well i mean given what you're saying you know it, it reminded me as i was doing research for this episode i i read that canada has donated all 10 million of our Johnson and Johnson vaccine yeah, to, right. you know, this, this vaccine sharing program. But again, like if certain countries are not recognizing the AstraZeneca because of, of whatever reason, then for, will it be the same with Johnson and Johnson? So if people get vaccinated with the, the, the one dose Johnson and Johnson and want to enter Canada, will we recognize that as being fully immunized or, or, or fully vaccinated? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the, this is becoming, um, just as much as as access has been an issue, like access to the vaccines, yeah. access to countries is getting more complicated because of the, the this hierarchy of vaccines that exists right now. You know, the one advice patients that I give to people is if you want a vacation, staycation. <laughs> like there's, I mean, there's great places in Ontario and around Canada, and it helps local business too. Um, that, that's that exactly right. So, so stay at home, help people in your backyard, um, and you you're a little bit safer and you don't have to worry about those damn expensive COVID tests you have to pay to go in and out. Yeah. 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 I I think fundamentally there's two things at play. It's like, listen, like Ryan said, there's so much to see in this vast, beautiful country that is ours, Canada. So go see it. And there's also some incentives from government and from, from businesses that are being given for certain, for certain types of trips. So take a look at that. But, but also, we have to also be be realistic and point fingers, really. Point fingers at, I believe, was it Ryan or was it Patience that spoke of the G7 leaders and needing Ryan. to contribute more? Ryan, Ryan saying needing to contribute more 
to developing countries. It, like, literally, we cannot move forward in Canada, even if we're 72 plus percent fully vaccinated today by 90 mm. percent or by the end of the year will be 90 percent. It doesn't matter if the rest of the world isn't. Exactly. So that's the final point, man. Jump into questions for the audience. So I was taking a look at the conservative platform last night, and I noticed that they had a lot of decent stuff for, you know, working class Canadians, even families, generally speaking, uh, demographics that have been left behind by the conservative party. I realized, though, that I didn't see anything regarding black people, although I did see that they had references to BIPOC and racialized and uh, underserved uh, individuals. So it got me thinking, does it really matter that the conservative platform says nothing specifically for black people and more, that it says nothing about addressing white supremacy? You just listened to episode 65 of The Trip. Ryan, it was fun having you with us today. You'll join us again soon, right? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. I mean, to be totally honest, uh, I had a blast. I would do this every week with you guys, but I know you got you got some bigger names coming down the pipe. Um, <laughs> I do, I do want to say one thing though. I think what the work you guys are doing is absolutely important. I work in politics, government relations, and getting more BIPOC youth involved and active is important. The way you guys are presenting the news is so critical. Um, the, the final word I'll say is, you know, people complain about things, they don't understand the context, and they don't act. And I find complaining doesn't fix anything. The point is that you got to do something, even in your own little way to bring change. And to me, patience, Curtis, this is what you guys are doing. You guys are helping in your own way to bring change, making our country, the world, our community um, just a better place. So kudos to both of you and thanks for having me again. And let me know if you want me to return back to talk about some politics. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much for that love, Ryan. <laughs> and thanks to you, our listeners, for continuing to rock with us. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis to cover election 44. So subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at the Drift TO. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location. For the sounds you're hearing now, you can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time.